Good morning. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Guiding God, without the presence of your Holy Spirit, we would be lost on this Advent journey. Come to us in this place as we gather to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive your word and our minds to understand it. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Hear these words. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him <clears throat> Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. It's so good to be back with y'all. Uh, I don't think I've preached for like 10 weeks. Maybe I'll remember how to do it. It's like a bicycle, maybe, right? I'm not sure. Um, uh, just a reminder, we have this book by uh, Trevor Hudson that we've been walking through. Uh, it's called Pauses for Advent. It has daily devotionals in it, uh, and we're taking the topics from the Sundays that he addresses and preaching around those. And so I really encourage you to pick it up if you're looking for something to uh, step into as a practice for Advent. Um, I think this is a great resource. You can find it on Amazon. It might be back-ordered. Maybe, maybe not. You can find it on Cokesbury. I uh, just encourage you to Google it and check it out. It's a great resource. I think there's a temptation to moralize a lot of the Bible, uh, to, to take these uh, texts, to take these characters, or to take these places and kind of pull out moral teaching and to see how they sort of impact our lives, uh, to think about these stories and, and not take them at face value, to abstract the characters and scrutinize them for some moral tale. Because our text today is certainly a strange one, if you look at it honestly, is it not? There's angels, there's dreams, there's prophecies, there's sort of like this ancient prophecy fulfilled, and then you have all these bizarre characters in the whole entire birth narrative and story of Christ. You have shepherds, you have wise men who are like astronomers from some far off foreign place, 
You have this peasant girl married to a carpenter. It's like something Walt Disney dreamed up with like some fantasy Narnia and Middle Earth. It's, it's bizarre, to being honest. It's a little bit of prophecy. It's very strange. And uh, the first thing that you do when you um, kind of get into seminary and you read these texts is you realize you really don't know a whole lot about these texts. <laughs> um, people will say there's a lot of stuff that happened uh, historically and a lot of stuff that's sort of more moral tales. And so oftentimes you get these two confused. Right, you're going to say there's no possible way that the walls of Jericho could be that tall and these people could wander in the wilderness and walk around the city. Jericho has to be made up. And then they found the city of Jericho, and you're like, I guess it's real. For the longest time, they thought the capital of Assyria, which was Nineveh in the story of Jonah, was a made-up place. They thought there's no archaeological evidence for this. This city is made up. Therefore, Jonah is a moral tale. And then they found the ruins of Nineveh, and they're like, oh, maybe it's real, because <laughs> it's here. So there's times when we think it's a moral tale, and then it turns out to be exactly historical and real. And there's times when we think it's historical and real, and we go, oh yeah, we don't really have a whole lot of evidence around the story of Job and who this person was. And you go, well, that's interesting. What can it teach us about God? What can it teach us about ourselves? And so it's easy to sort of take our presumptions and place them on a story, like the narrative, and say, angels, prophecy, clearly. This is crazy. Or maybe it's not. What if we were to take it at face value? What if today we were to sort of shelve our skepticism of this text and put ourselves as best we can in Joseph's shoes to understand Joseph in the circumstances he finds himself in? I was recently talking to my dad um, about, I don't know, I think it was about our Christmas plans. And he said, you know what I found out? He said, I found out that Jesus probably wasn't born in a barn. And it like blew his mind, right? And that's what happens when we encounter these stories and you're like, man, there's, there's, some, there's some real good historical stuff behind this. And when we submit ourselves to the text and we say, okay, teach me. I'm going to submit myself to this text and say, what can I learn today? and I'm going to kind of shelve my skepticism, we open ourselves to the possibility of what God has for us as we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. So, what do we know about Joseph's life? Well, that's kind of a tricky question. See my previous statements about skepticism, historicity, and this text. What do we really know about Joseph's life? Joseph's life is accounted in Matthew and Luke. He's not really mentioned in Mark or John. He is mentioned sort of on the side when it says like, isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son? That's it. It's the only reference we have to, Jesus, uh, to Joseph in the other two gospels. And Matthew, he takes sort of center stage because Matthew is trying to write for a Jewish audience. And in Luke, he's like a, a supporting character, right? Mary is the primary focus because Luke wants to focus on the outcasts, the marginalized, the people of society who don't get the spotlight. And so Luke narrows in on Mary's story and the validity of that circumstance. Matthew's gonna broaden this to say, what about Joseph? What is it like for us to look at Joseph? He's a carpenter. He's someone who worked with his hands. He's a tradesman. I mean, this is a guy who puts on his boots in the morning and he goes to work. He pays his union dues. 
He comes home, he believes in the, the Protestant hard work ethic. This is the man of our story. This is the character who Joseph is. I'm reminded of my grandfather who worked for GM for over 40 years. He followed work around from uh, Detroit and uh, up in uh, Lansing and Michigan and Pontiac and then came down to Marion, Indiana and worked on the line all his life. And that was it. I'm reminded of that sort of down-to-earth, blue-collar, hard work, get it done, do the work, go home, get up, do it again, come home. That's what you do. That's what Joseph is. He's this man who is so practical, so righteous, the text tells us. When I think of Joseph, I think of a hard-working, practical man with practical problems. A practical man with practical problems because Joseph has a practical problem. He doesn't know what to do. I wonder how many of you have been in a position like Joseph's where you didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to do. Joseph is stuck. He has an honest job. He's got honest work. He comes from honest people. He's got an honest girl. Well, he, um, he had an honest girl. And he's stuck. He doesn't know what to do. And this is the problem. He doesn't know what to do. Or he doesn't know what to do yet. Or he doesn't know how best to act. He doesn't know how to keep being righteous, how to keep being honest. He's unsure what to do. There's a a great painting by the French artist James Tussaud, which I think Jake will put up here on the screen, hopefully. There it is. It's called The Anxiety of Joseph. And I love this painting. I love that it's just so real, right? We often see the nativity story and we think of this story about Jesus and Joseph and Mary and they all have like the gold little halos and they're all little pretty white people standing there holding like their white baby and it's just like it's not the case like Joseph was a a real person with real issues like maybe he's running a small carpentry business here and I don't know what he's thinking about what is he thinking about is he thinking about rents due I gotta pay taxes there's a census coming up I don't know what he's thinking about. I wonder if he's had that dream yet where the angel appears to him. Is this before the dream? When he's pondering what to do and he has in mind to divorce her quietly, to sort of separate from her quietly? Or is this after the dream? And he's saying, what in the bleep was that about? <laughs> and, he's, and he's stuck. He's trying to figure out what to do. He's, he doesn't know what to do. And I can't say I blame the man, quite frankly. And I need to take a step back here and say that I, I really believe that God continues to speak through dreams today. Now, I know that dream you had about beer and pizza and ice cream. No, that dream is from Satan, not from God. Uh, But there are definite things that God speaks to in our dreams. And sometimes we know it, and it's so clear to us, and then we're stuck in paralysis, and we don't know how to move forward. I think God still is in the business of speaking today. So he has this dream in some direction, but what he lacks is clarity. Joseph lacks clarity on his next step. And he's a a righteous man. And I I love that phrase that is in our text. 
Joseph, being a righteous man, had in mind to divorce her privately. I think there's two ways that you can read that. Joseph, who's a, a righteous man, he's going to divorce her privately because it will diminish the shame for her, right? That is a righteous action. If he divorces her privately, it will diminish the shame for her. Check. That's a good read on Joseph's righteousness. There's another way to read that. Joseph, being a righteous man, is going to divorce her privately because his righteousness is at stake. And if he chooses to marry her and go through with this, then he will no longer be righteous. He'll no longer be righteous. So let me propose a a third way to understand this and what I think Joseph is wrestling with. Joseph is a, a righteous man, and so he should protect Mary's honor. In this ancient culture where honor and shame is the social currency, this is the righteous move to make. And second, Joseph should do the right thing to protect his own righteousness. He is a Jew, and by Torah, by law of his God and people, he should divorce her. He should maintain his righteousness. Those are two things that he should do. But maybe, maybe the thing he's wrestling with is the true righteous action here. The thing that he's wrestling with is that the righteous action is to do none of those things. It's to do none of those things. Maybe the righteous action is to be faithful to the unconventional, crazy, wacko, nutjob idea that God is calling him to. And that is to break convention and marry this woman. Because God truly takes hard situations, difficult positions, and makes the best out of them. It was required is our faithful attentiveness to God's voice in the middle of all that. And so Mary generally gets a lot of credit here, right? In the Gospel of Luke, she says, I'm a humble servant, let it be done to me, yada, yada, yada. We all heard the story, right? And Joseph is a typical man. He's a man of few words. None, to be precise. He says nothing. He just goes, "Mm mm-hmm. (laughs) In all the Gospels, Joseph has no words attributed to him. He's just like there as this sort of stand-in, modeling righteousness for his children and his spouse. Joseph is also a faithful servant who listens to the call of God on his life. And so where does he go from here? I picture him wrestling I picture him slowly nodding his head, no words. He's maybe not liking God's plan, but he wholly trusts in the goodness of God and that God will see him through. And so may we carefully and prayerfully trust that God will see us through our difficult situations as well in the season of Advent. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.